and welcome to another episode of Laying Down the Lore 40k, a lore podcast in which we aim to separate our Ducari from our Dark Angels, our Tyranids from our Tau, and our Craft Worlds from our Chaos Marines, and generally ask, what's up with this Warhammer 40k stuff? My name is Ben Crone Barber, and I know pretty much fuck all about 40k. With me is my co-host, Christopher Kralin Allen. Mm, hello there. Who knows absolutely fuck all about 40k. Very true. And my dear brother, Darren. Who knows so much about 40k, it's a wonder he has time to do anything else. Over the years, this dichotomy between our levels of understanding became clear, and this series is an attempt to address that ignorance. Nailed it, Ben. (laughs) Nailed it. First time, right? Or at least that's all the (laughs) listeners will think. The power of editing. Well, I enjoyed that first episode so much. How about another, lads? (laughs) I'm alright, thanks. Okay, yeah, fine. (laughs) Right, Crow, we've got to do this one ourselves. Right, Crow, you teach me. Who's the emperor? Uh, Your (laughs) mum. She was once, yes. Uh, (laughs) Who is the emperor? That's a good question. We didn't know who the emperor was. It was the de facto emperor, just like generic emperor. Don't, yeah, yeah, don't ask because the Inquisition will turn up at your door and you know, yeah, 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 yeah. do whatever it is that they do. We still permanently delete Um, you. Yeah, yeah. He does actually. He does actually have a name. Go on. Is it John? No, Clarence. No, it's not Clarence the Emperor. Please tell me that's. That's the truth. Of course, it's not his name. Oh. <laughs> no, he's simply, he Clarence. has always been referred to as the Emperor. The Emperor. But now we'll be referred to as Clarence. So, how does, how do they travel through space? The warp. Orb, orb, orb. <laughs> but it's highly unstable and uh, not reliable. So some might arrive in a couple of minutes, some might arrive in a few days, some might arrive in a few years. Dare I suggest, Darren, that some may not arrive at all? Some may not arrive at all. Ooh. And we will cover that in episode five. Okay. In episode 517 in about 10 years' time. When we're about halfway <laughs> through the introduction, right, Darren? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean... They, just just to, to kind of assuage our listeners' concerns, the last episode was the start of a 12-episode introduction to 40K. That That's not a joke. Wow. There is so much going on, it takes 12 episodes just to read the table of contents. Excellent. Oof. Jesus Christ. So, we'll get into the real meat and veg of it next year, basically. Yeah. Next year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sweet. <laughs> Okay. Well, we better crack on, eh? All right. Next question, Ben. Next question. Go and um, test me again. What is the warp? The warp is a mix of spiritual heaven and hell, mostly hell. Yeah, mostly and hell. It's yeah. where the chaos, the four chaos gods reside or like to hang out at least. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's one half of two and a half. Um, actuality, yeah, boy. the physical world, the actuality yeah. where we could touch, feel, smell, and hear, and taste, and lick, and caress, and cup. <laughs> and then there's the warp, where uh, everything else happens. A lucky girl, absolutely. <laughs> Amy, experience my twelve senses. <laughs> oh, Chris, get away! <laughs> you're you're not getting into the webway tonight, you fucker. Speaking of which, what is the half? Yes, the half of that two and a half is the webway, uh, which the Eldar 
which is which is what yeah. it's the secret passageway that the Ponzi elves <laughs> keep to themselves and they're really precious about right Darren I'm guessing they don't share that or they can't share it which one is it or both the knowledge of the web uh, they don't share it yeah, they yeah. don't they don't share it yeah yeah interestingly yeah. it wasn't and we'll cover this in the elder episodes but it wasn't the elder that built the web <gasps> they simply adopted it they used it can you guess the old, the old ones, ones nailed it chris oh, nailed chris, it you are <sighs> on fire is there also the slam in 40k or not space frogs uh, We'll cover we'll cover that this episode. There is in first edition. In first edition 40k, they do look like uh space frogs that have been on a diet and are armed with Aztec themed weapons. Okay, cool. What's an Aztec themed weapon? Pretty gnarly. To the people who don't might not know. It's like a weapon, but it's got bits of black glass glued to it. Okay, like Onyx. Alright, Onyx. Jesus Christ. Coming out with Ob- Obsidian. Obsidian is the word I was looking for. Thank you. <laughs> What's Onyx? Onyx is a thing, though, right? Onyx is. I think it's it's uh, a thing for your face. <laughs> I have no idea. Oh, sorry, I crap. thought it was black glass. We're gonna but... we're gonna have to have a laying down the Lord geology episode. Yeah, to bring Crow up to speed. Tonight. So, Crow, yeah. what's okay. what is a psyker? Psyker, Psyker Grove, mate. It's a Psyker Geordie, Grove, right? <laughs> Psyker Grove. Psyker <laughs> uh, Grove. PG and Duncan. Psyker Grove. Uh, is that is that a place on uh, for the where the Kachan jungle fighters? Hang out? <laughs> yeah, the Shaka Khan jungle fighters. The Shaka Khan. The Shaka Khans. Uh, yeah, psychers. They are basically magic users, or what we might refer to as magic users. They are outlawed in general, or the the Imperium of Man. Boo! Claim to want to get rid of. <laughs> psychers yet they will find the most powerful psychers and utilize them for themselves for things like navigation psychic kibble for the emperor um the big lighthouse thing and communicate in between across the universe and stuff and go through thousands of them a day because it's a really inefficient system but they're refusing to develop because they're really conservative and they must maintain the status quo the imperium of man boo Nice. Mm. Okay. The only thing you forgot from that is the uh, very quiet and judgmental space marine librarians. Yes. Oh, yeah. 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 Are they also psychers? Are they? Are they a branch of psychers? They're psychers. Yeah. Okay. okay. They are indeed. Yes. Yeah. Right, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And those guys. So what? What is the year? Roughly speaking, what's the millennium? Forty thousand, or M four dot dot zero. When did our reality exist in that timeline? Uh, M three dot something yes two. well done m322 22 m322 nice you look like your hands having a little episode yeah but <laughs> thanks for the clue but i didn't know whether to call a paramedic or not <laughs> <laughs> i'm not the one intimating that desmond tutu is in the goddamn warhammer 40k universe <laughs> so what was the kind of big pinnacle event that split the Imperium. Uh, it was the Heresy of Horus. Okay, excellent. And what year, what year was that? Or what millennium was that? Oh, mate, it was like ages ago, wasn't it? Uh, <laughs> Could you be a little no more idea. specific? Uh, 30 
Go on. Thousand. Well done. Ah! Yay! Ooh, fuck me. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm scared Excellent. myself here. Excellent. Well, thanks everyone for joining our uh, first recap episode. Yeah. Uh, we'll be we'll be back uh, again next, next month. month. We will <laughs> with a recap of this recap. <laughs> We're going to get gradually shorter episodes until we get to about episode twenty-five, where it's just Chris going. Ah! <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> All right, feeling good. Uh, yeah, Carl, I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you eight out of ten for that one because thank you. You, Betty. you, you hesitated on the thirty. I, I don't think that you you really knew it. I think you were yeah. channeling mainly the hand signals that Darren was making at you, but you know maybe some sort of uh, warp-based energy. I don't, I don't know, but yeah, exactly. there's, there's room yeah, for yeah, improvement. Yeah. So yeah. You know. okay, well, next uh, episode I'm going to test your recapping skills, Benny. How do you okay. think about them apples? I'm, I'm but that game. means I now have to research it so I can then prepare the questions. And oh, shit, <laughs> yeah, it means you're going to have anyway. to actually pay attention during this episode. <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right, so. Dar, what's cracking? How you doing? Nothing much. All right. What's happening with you? Not much. Yeah, do you want to? Do you want to tell us some stuff? <laughs> give us an. Do you want to give us an episode of content? Yeah, one of that, please. Yep. No. Um, the... <laughs> but I'm gonna have to. <laughs> but I'm gonna have to. I'm contractually obliged to. Okay, so given the uh, the literal four decades that uh, 40k has been developed over. I thought it might be useful at this stage to have a, a breakdown. Uh, <laughs> yeah, just to have a breakdown. <laughs> uh, Overdue. <laughs> the separate editions of 40K, there's currently nine, where I'd say within the next year or two years, we're going to hit 10th edition. Uh, and we won't dive into the rules, although we can at later episodes, but it's really just to get a sense of the development of the lore over those time periods, over the separate editions, so that you can see where things change and where things are introduced, that kind of idea. So we'll really start with what people would logically assume is first edition, which is Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader. So Rogue Trader was the kind of development name, the, the, the working title for 40K while it was being developed. The development of the rules really started at about 82 with Rick Priestley, the kind of game design guru of uh, Games Workshop and other games, other games exist, uh, that started working on something that eventually turned into a game called Laser Burn. Laser. Uh, Sounds like something you do at school. <laughs> that went through a, a few editions, but then peeled off into its own kind of separate uh, company. And interestingly, and it is interesting, the mechanics of laser burn appear in a computer game called, or a computer game series called XCOM. Oh, yeah. I don't uh, know if you're yeah, familiar yeah, yeah. with XCOM. I literally started playing it at Christmas. It's fucking brilliant. Yeah, the mechanics of that, the kind of how the maths is worked out in the background, yeah. that's Laserburn. That's or ah, that started out as Laserburn, a tabletop property, which it should come as no surprise to anyone in uh, gaming that a lot of digital games start out as pen and paper. Mm. They have to work out how everything interacts mm. yeah, before they code it up. Was it also the basis of LaserQuest? 
No. <laughs> that would have been fucking awesome. Next question. <laughs> Very strange. <laughs> um, so in, initially the game uh, 40k was going to be just be called Rogue Trader. It wasn't going to be called 40k at all, Warhammer 40k. But Games Workshop got the license to do a number of uh, board games and role-playing games around the 2000 AD properties, the, the great kind of comic institution oh, yeah. of Great Britain. And one of them was a, a, a board game, which I had, which is a great board game, which called uh, Rogue Trooper, oh, uh, yeah. which is the genetic infantryman. Were they green? The, they they were, were blue. Blue, that's right. Yeah, yeah they were all one yeah. color, weren't they? And when they died, their entire mental imprint went on to a little digital chip which, uh, as opposed to an analog chip, uh, which is just a chip, um, which they you could <laughs> you could pull out of your you know you pull pull out of your comrade's head and stick the chip onto your gun or onto your helmet uh, on your head and uh, or your backpack, so you could continue having conversations with your dead friends as you use them to make other people dead. Very strange. So anyway, as I was saying before, you got obliterated. Yeah, <laughs> that looked like it hurt. Did that hurt? It looked like it hurt. <laughs> it looked like it hurt. Now that you are a gun. <laughs> now that you are a gun. Um, <laughs> Tell me, how do you feel? <laughs> but really, was it, it was kind of one of these non not was it nominative determinism because all of Rogue Trooper's friends, one was called Bagman. He ended up in the backpack. One was called Helm. <laughs> He ended up in the helm. I've forgotten what the other one was called. He might have been called Gunner and ended up in the gun. <laughs> yeah. So you could you could be the leftover squad bloke and you could have all your squad teammates plugged into you, into your hat, into your boot, into your gun, into your glove, into your backpack, into your yeah. wherever you like. You could yeah. just be peppered with your own friends yeah. and keep the party going. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if that's good or bad. Was... Was it a video game? I've got. A it was vague also a vi- there was a video game brought out within the last ten years, uh, which is pretty good. Yes. It's pretty good. Pretty yeah, uh, pretty lore heavy pretty as well. Fun. I mean, it really gives you pause to thought if you are lined up as this kind of clone genetic infantry man and your name is Underpants. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's sort of pause for thought there, really, is it? an examination of your life. <laughs> uh, why? Why have I been called Buttplug? <laughs> so Games Workshop having that property and having the name Rogue Trooper decided to steer away from just calling Warhammer Rogue Trader there's too much of an overlap so they went with Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader now Rogue Trader is an actual thing in 40k a Rogue Trader is a very powerful member of the Adeptus Terra if you recall that's the kind of bureaucratic priesthood or a, a kind of renegade inquisitor or um, a planetary governor. It's some high up official who's viewed as being perhaps a little bit problematic. So what's done is they're given a, a charter, a trading charter that turned into like a merchant prince. So these rogue traders sail through the stars with a, a kind of hodgepodge fleet and have attached companies or regiments of imperial army uh, or imperial guard and either a squad or a company of space marines go along with them and they're out 
these are guys that are at the forefront of kind of human space, rediscovering uh, worlds that had been lost or discovering new worlds. They very and, much sound like pirates. Uh, yes, yeah. But recruited, yeah, yeah. sanctioned pirates. Yeah. Privateers, yeah. Privateers mm, are sanctioned pirates, right. yeah, sanctioned by the state. Now, what I've just described is the lore from Rogue Trader from the from the first edition. That's how Rogue Traders were envisaged. In later editions, they're they are hereditary merchant princes. So at some stage in the past of the Imperium, they were given a merchant's charter, and that's now been handed down through the millennia. And these guys are just massively wealthy and are effectively have the populations of planets or, or a planet uh, in their fleet. Mr. Ben. So is this, was this before the 40k as we know it now had been envisaged? It was, this is the, the kind of seed of it. Uh, yes, this is the first edition of it. So, right. So, Rogue Trader, it, it's either referred to as Rogue Trader or Rogue Trader Era, is the right. first, I think it's the first six years. So, on average, you get a new edition every five or six years. That's okay. up until recently where they seem to have ramped up pumping out new edition so the so the the space marines that you reference there so uh that would be in the rogue traders fleet were yeah. they the space marines that we know today or were they kind of just more generally like a catch-all term for a marine that's in space were they the superhuman guys they, that we they, know now? they were the superhuman guys that we know now yeah. although um originally they were only stronger than humans, than baseline humans. Uh, they were as tough. So it was as easy to damage a space marine as it was to damage uh, a normal human. Gotcha. Okay, they, okay. they got a toughness boost about halfway through the, uh, the life cycle of Rogue Trader to kind of give them that better feel within, within the game on the tabletop. Right. Um, okay. So with the publication of the Rogue Trader hardback, which I bought again this year, thanks to my birthday money, uh, or last year, thanks to my birthday money, it's a very, generic is the wrong word, but it's very generic compared to 40k now. Like, this is before the Horus Heresy was a concept. This is before Space Marine Legions were a concept. So it was very much a, a... a kind of wild west bureaucratic gothic space kind of setting the game itself was more rpg than pure war game to generate a force uh, almost everything was random so you had a random amount of troops uh, for some aspects but then all of their equipment was random and the games you were advised for the games to have a games master a gm a dm for the ah. games to kind of help along. Games lasted an enormous amount of time uh, once you got above any kind of specific point size. But even at publication, points weren't really a thing. It was just, it was like narrative. It was just, wouldn't this be cool? And so right. there was a, a, a lot of different ways to play the game. And in fact, it wasn't until the first supplement, which is called the Book of the Astronomican, uh, was released that that was the army list book 
So it was all the army lists you would need to play the basic road trader game. Now, was this, was this, were there miniatures? Was this a tabletop game at that point? Or was it yes, still? Yes, it absolutely it was. was a tabletop right, game. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, but you, you raise an interesting point. Originally, Games Workshop were going to produce conversion packs so you could convert fantasy miniatures into space miniatures and use them in kind of space role-playing games. Right. Uh, you just put like a space helmet on them and then bam, they are now a space skaven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just put a, put a jetpack <laughs> on an orc, yeah. which is pretty much what orcs in 40k are, aren't they? It's just an orc <laughs> jetpack. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So the... Yes, this book of the Astronomicon, if you were to compare it to a modern-day army list, it's it's like it's for a completely different setting, utterly. Mm. The points values were quite skewed, but the units that you could create, the forces you could create, were very, very interesting. So they had uh, army lists for space marines, and they had some very unusual names for some of the uh, the squads, you had the Eldar, you had two versions of Eldar, or Eldari, the space elves. So you could play mercenaries and pirates. Craft worlds weren't yet a thing uh, in terms of an organized force that you would recognize from today's uh, lore. But they did exist. They were just simply giant ships. There was no details of any new troop types it was effectively just gangs of space elves which kind of brings back to the original point that um 40k is effectively warhammer fantasy in space rogue trader i mean is effectively warhammer fantasy third edition in space so you have space elves you have space dwarves you have space orcs i'm not using these terms to kind of be joking about it there's actual packaging that has space elves Space dwarfs, space wow, orcs right. on it. They sound quite naff. I'm sure they're not, but when you put like space elf, space elf <laughs> sounds pretty unterrifying and yeah. unintimidating. I'll be honest. Space dwarf, okay. Like space crowl, yeah, or space Benny, like <laughs> yeah. That sounds terrifying. <laughs> I'd definitely be him. It's just Ben with a helmet. <laughs> ben has a helmet. So fairly quickly after the publication of the book of the Astronomicon. There was a steer towards uh, publishing updates and new supplements uh, and new articles in White Dwarf. And we touched on this last episode where, looking back on it now, you're really watching a game being developed in public. Mm. You know, you had the introduction of Dreadnoughts uh, for uh, Space Marines and for Eldar. Now, Dreadnoughts are... Oh, you're about to explain. Excuse no, no, go on. No, go on. Have a guess. I was going to okay. have a quick guess because yeah. I have little nuggets of knowledge about foot games. Dreadnoughts are are they Uber Space Marines? Are they like a step no. from your bog standards? Okay, all right then. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you started that by saying I have these little nuggets of knowledge, and I was thinking, here we go, here we go, <laughs> here we fucking go. I'm just frustrated because that nugget of knowledge was taking up a space in my brain where it could have, you know, been used for something else much more useful. Yeah, like the truth. <laughs> like yeah, exactly. like an actual fact. Like, like like facts, yeah. Yeah, welcome to my world. Um the uh, dreadnoughts are uh 
really, really aggressive, violent life support really, systems. Really, really aggressive, violent life support systems. Yeah, that's what I said. Yeah, as you said, as you said, yeah. That edit will come together nicely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so a, a space marine is mortally wounded. His brain still functions. He still wants to serve or he's still allowed to serve. So they put him in like a, a I was going to say, I got my words wrong in my head. I was going to say he's put in a life-preserving cagoule when I meant cocoon. <laughs> so he's Run put in a life. <laughs> so he's got this kind of kind of healthy parka on, and he's put into <laughs> he's basically wired into a giant armored suit, which is look from the outside looks like a robot, but he's the brain. So he's there's cables like are Krang, jam- like Krang of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of, sort of. If Krang was all kind of in a, in a, in a cocoon. Uh, and placed... That is Krang. Krang is just a brain, isn't he, in this like big buff bloke machine thing. Yes, but he's just a brain, whereas I think what Dara's saying is it's the whole... It is the whole... Oh, no, the remains. Just... It's the it's remains the of the, of the, of the, of yeah, the being yeah, 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 that's yeah, yeah, put yeah, yeah. inside okay, an okay. armoured shell. Okay. So there's one exists for Space Marines, one exists for Eldar. At the very start, the Eldar version was the same. It was the remains of an Eldar. That later changed, um, as we'll discover when we talk about second edition. So in terms of the amount of content, the amount of information and rule set that was published through White Dwarf, I mean, for the £1.25 it was way back when, you could get a whole Space Marine army list. Plus, I mean, I remember the 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 various magazines where you had in one of them, I think you had three army lists available for different for different settings for different game uh, game systems. Uh, but it meant that you didn't. There was no codexes. Codexes didn't exist. So you had those were the days. Those were the days, weren't they? Those were One pound twenty five. For the magazine, mm. no codex, no rules. Yeah. Life was easier and freer. Yeah, Life yeah, was yeah. It's probably about the same time as um, when you had those ovens where you had to actually go stick your head in, turn the gas on, light and manually light it. Yeah. <laughs> back in the eighties, back when a ten deck was one fifty, and a ten deck was one fifty exactly. Yeah. So, the various uh, articles, the most useful articles from uh, White Dwarf, were compiled in a compendium, which was then published as a softback release. Now, that contained army lists for Space Marines, the Imperial Army, uh, they were not the Imperial Guard yet, they were referred to as the Imperial Army, uh, Harlequins, which are the Eldar Space Mimes, and the <laughs> or Star Clowns, and a race of Space Dwarves called Squats. Just gonna let that there. Bar, bar, bar. Excellent. S Q U A T S. Squats. Squats. I didn't think there were forty k dwarven things, or is this way before first? This is first edition, isn't it? This is first edition. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, this okay. is the the. What's interesting is that they were brought into second edition very slightly, and then they were just quietly killed off. And they've only in the last year come back, so it's it's wow. been thirty years since anyone's had a dose of the squats. 
(laughs) (laughs) Worth the wait, though. Have they, when they brought them back, have they kind of written into the lore where they've been for 30 years? Or did they just kind of go, they're back? Yeah, I mean, the the retcon was is that the Tyranids, Tyranids for listeners who who aren't aware of them, are... Um, and Kral and and Kral are the if you if you can imagine the alien from the alien movies writ large across the stars and all they do is they kill and consume and dissolve all biological matter and then make more of themselves so wow they sound like happy fun time guys the the tyrannids are they a common enemy to to we call it the the humanoid type races so the elder and the imperium of manbu yeah. um and even space orcs and and whatnot they they are dare i say are they like the skaven of 40k no that the the, no? the closest you could get to skaven in 40k is a race called the frud okay yeah love but that. they're not love that name <laughs> but they're not particularly uh, well defined. Uh, no, Tyranids are everyone's enemy, and they okay. are biological Hoovers. They're the evil Roomba of um, 40k. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And but as we said last episode, not that good and evil has any kind of kind of moral guidance within 40k. So they had something to do with the dwarves. Oh, sorry. Yes. It was decided that all the squat homeworlds were rumbled by the Tyranids, uh, and that only a handful existed as kind of mercenaries or adventurers uh, lost within gotcha. the wider Imperium. They've returned uh, as the Leagues of Votan, which are a very kind of space Nordic idea of dwarves. So it takes the kind of Norse lore mythological version of dwarves. And puts them in space, Sweet. Uh, and they're very, they're sort of a bit Mad Maxy. It's kind of it's cool to it's cool to see, uh, but there are some design aesthetics and troop choices that mirror very slightly the uh, troop choices that were available to you in Rogue Trader. The most famous one is that they have right. Okay, so the armor you were thinking of, Chris, is called Terminator armor. That's where it's slightly bigger and bulkier than the normal Space Marine. Mm, the, yeah, so the, the squats have their own version of that called Exo Armor. It looks like a Cadbury's cream egg with feet and uh, two <laughs> kind of stubby arms. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> and they just roll towards okay. the enemy. And it, and it rolls, to, it rolls Like an angry Eminem coming at you. Yeah. How do you eat yours? How do you eat yours? With a bolt gun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, for, for these uh, transfers from Warhammer Fantasy worked kind of well. It was very kitschy, very enjoyable. There was a great deal of kind of conversion between Fantasy and 40K. The kind of other relatively mysterious races that were brought in at the inception of 40k were the slan which followed very much the aztec olmeki style aesthetic from from third edition 
but really it was the original envisaging or the original version of the slan which were humanoid frogs that were not massively huge and traveled around on palagons they weren't like a giant brain and a frog it was just a frog mm. and these were the servants of the old ones so these were the kind of foot so the devolved foot soldiers of the old ones as was wow. were they super powerful as in uh like the slan were in fantasy or were they more not powerful no they were they were, they were more not powerful they were... use your words chris use your words i'm trying i'm trying they were um, they were the they were no better or worse than a, an average human soul sure there's some cool, cool some variation in stats and they have access to more esoteric weaponry but in general a squad of slan and a squad of humans fairly evenly matched sure the only other race brought out in initial launch were the tyranids and these were these had really had two groups of models one was a kind of tyranid <laughs> a tyranid warrior uh, which looked like a horse-sized newt having a really powerful orgasm. That's how I remember the miniature looking. It is wow. just all over the place. Fucking um, hell. That, Games that Monster Development Team, and it's fine. With guns. <laughs> the, then the troops underneath the, the Tyranids would later be expanded, but really the, the only kind of at-release soldiers troops they had were the zoats or zoats which are a kind of lizard men centaurs uh with guns. ah yes yeah 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 yeah, 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 yeah. sure yeah, yeah, so yeah. two questions the tyranids then they were pretty much a new race they didn't have a fantasy equivalent no they didn't no. Really. Like the Skaven were a significant part of the fantasy setting. They weren't. They didn't have a space equivalent at the time of release. No, what? not at all. I think it was just the kind of opportunity to create new miniatures. I mean, what you have to understand is that fantasy battle was created to allow people to use their role-playing game miniatures for other things. Ah, okay. So when you're starting out a brand new venture, brand new uh, system, uh, and you've only done fantasy and you bring that across. That, I mean, that's why they were looking at uh, like conversion sets to convert fantasy figures into 40K because that would be the cheapest way to create a Space Force. Gotcha. By existing miniatures that don't need to be designed and have people convert it. I mean, it was... Rogue Trader really it occupies a really soft spot in my heart because it really allowed, there was no restrictions. Hmm. If you could imagine something and you could create it, like be it a, a race of troops or a vehicle, you could do it. And there was a mechanism there that allowed you to create your own types of vehicles. Cool. It's where the infamous deodorant stick speeder came from. What? There's a famous vehicle that is a, a, a speeder, so a, a personal, uh, it had a troop capacity of five, I think, if I recall correctly. But it was made out of a, a deodorant stick that you could get in the, the late 80s, early 90s. <laughs> 
There was a canopy on it, like a cockpit put on it, but that was a plastic spoon that had had some bit of it melted off. <laughs> and then it was peppered with weapons and kind of science fiction-y bits from Zoids. Uh, you two would be too young to even remember what Zoids were. Um, Something you got on your bum after sitting on a cold wall, isn't it? (laughs) 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 I think I'm getting Zoids right now. But yeah, if you were to flick through the the kind of rule books and the White Dwarfs, you'd see that a lot of the vehicles were simply like airfix kits that had been repurposed. That's cool. That's cool. Helicopters with jet engines glued on the side, you know, it's that kind of idea. Just to go back to my last question, what you mentioned that there was an a, something roughly equivalent to Skaven in space. The Fruds. Yes, the Hrud. But they weren't re- they didn't really even appear for about another four editions. Oh wow. In the right, lore. Okay. So it was quite late. And they're really kind of these are kind of shadowy beings, so they can move from shadow to shadow and in general they're found in the kind of baffles and underways of both kind of hive cities which are these enormous mega cities and the the under how would you describe them the under levels and the bilges of starships right okay but they're not rats but they serve the same purpose, or they—it's becoming yeah. clear that they serve the same purpose. Mm-hmm. Are they in? Ex- are they in the existing lore? Uh, yes, they are. Yes, they are. Oh, okay, you can yeah. take the Skaven out of fantasy or Warhammer, but you can't. T- no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't take the fantasy out of a Skaven. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anyway, so that's really the kind of starting point that. The Imperium of Man existed, as we've described uh, last episode, and we will delve further into in episode four. But everything else was kind of tangential. Everything's a a kind of tack on to the Imperium of Man in terms of lore. Chaos was not really a, a, a thing because the Realms of Chaos books had not yet been published. So demons did exist, warp creatures did exist, but the gods of chaos weren't mentioned. The demons of chaos weren't mentioned. And, you know, the various armies there. Chaos space marines didn't really exist. You could have renegade space marines, but not particularly, um, how would you describe it, chaos-worshipping space marines. Mutants existed. There is, in the initial rulebook, there's lots of details for you to be able to create mutants. And following on from our conversation last episode, mutants are as big a problem, if not more so, in the Imperium of Man uh, than psychers. And mutant revolts and mutant populations are constantly being put down or culled um, quelled by the Imperium of Man. Yeah. And really... Why are they a bigger problem than psychers? Just, just are, they, are they as devastating as the effects of psychers or... Are they just more numerous? There's two real answers to that. The first is, ties back to the kind of psychic meta of the human race as they, as more psychic energy, as more warp energy suffuses the kind of human race, it's very much like warp stone, which isn't a thing in 40k, it mutates humanity. Again, the 
the other thing is it's an incredibly bigoted and prejudicial culture. So anything that doesn't look human is not treated as human. So they're an underclass, they're slaves, be it just kind of general mutants milling around on a planet's surface or the the unfortunate byproducts of warp transport or warp translating. Mm-hmm. And the thing that kind of protects a human crew is called a Geller field. It's effectively... A Ross Geller field. Yuri Geller. Yeah, Ross Geller. Yuri Geller field. <laughs> Yuri Geller field. You come out, but bent. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a little bit wonky. A little bit wonky. He's not mutated, but he's awfully spoony somehow. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so a Geller field is a, a kind of psychic hex ward that keeps the demons from getting into a ship when it travels through the warp. Sometimes these fade, sometimes these buckle slightly, and a bit of um, warp energy gets in like a fart at a funeral, and suddenly everyone's <laughs> bent out of shape. Um, <laughs> but really, that that kind of summary is what the 40k lore was at that time. There was no great detail in, in terms of background for any of the races. It was just, you have miniatures, Here's a very basic rundown of where they would fit within the game. Uh, here are the rules for them. On you go. I mean, mm-hmm. there were there were rules for vehicles, but there were no vehicle models. You had to make them yourself. That's cool. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Mr. There, Chris, must, there must be some amazing... You, sorry to interject. There must be some amazing examples of like vehicles that people made back then if there were no rules and no yeah, structure. The, the deodorant them. spoon wagon. <laughs> deodorant spoon the, wagon. the infamous deodorant spoon wagon. <laughs> there was a, there were a, a particularly reminded of a scout titan. So again, it's a thing. It's about twenty meters tall. In like, if it was real, but they made it from a, an ATST scout walker oh, from cool. Star Wars. Yeah, nice. and not like not like a plastic kit. The actual Mattel one or Kenner Ooh, one that you cool. pushed. A button on the back and the legs moved. Ah, amazing! I'll, I'll see if I can That's... dig out a picture of it for for the show notes. Imagine yeah. the '80s uh, 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 TV advert for that. Now with actual moving legs. Are you looking for that one rare tome that has eluded your grasp for years? Do you want to expand your library with ancient texts filled with forbidden and restricted knowledge, all while avoiding the Holy Inquisition? At the Bibliothecia Obscura, we specialize in rare and obscure books from across the galaxy, from the ancient data slates of the Adeptus Mechanicus to restricted grimoires such as the Liber Astartes Eroticus and the Coquina Chaotica, the forbidden cookbook of chaos. We have it all. And just to reassure you, we're, we're not associated with the Holy Inquisition. Our expert staff of librarians and scribes have scoured the Imperium and beyond to bring you the finest selection of antique books that credits can buy. Again, without any interference of the Holy Inquisition. Bibliothecia Obscura, a wholly owned subdivision of the Investigatio Divinia. (laughs) 
So yeah, so it was, you know, creativity was really rewarded. There was no, it wasn't a game on rails, if you mm. know what I mean. There was nothing was prescribed. You could pretty much do whatever you wanted with the agreement of your playing group. The kind of direct translation from fantasy to 40k did leave gaps. You know, a lot of the stuff, there was really not much differentiation between the races. The only way your army would really be unique is if you converted a lot of stuff. Right. Um, so there were the, there were the core um, units. You had your foot yeah. soldiers. You had your cavalry or mounted. You had your heavy weapons, heavy armor, heavy gunners, heavy uh, units, and all the different factions, the different miniatures were all assembled in that kind of fashion. They had like two or three identical unit types in all of the yeah. Yes, exactly. I mean, like a Space Marine tactical unit was pretty similar to uh, an Imperial Guard tactical unit. The weapons mm. were different, for sure, and Space mm. Marines were a bit stronger, but it was, you know, the, yeah. the dice rolls weren't that different to kill both of them. The Orcs were a bit tougher, but not as strong as Space Marines. The equipment was largely the same, to the point where, like, a, a type of weapon, a melter gun, which is a microwave gun, the ones that humans used were exactly the same as the ones that the squats used were exactly mm. the same as the ones that the Eldar used, that, that the actual miniature was holding the same weapon. So that really didn't start to become kind of culturally unique items until the second edition. It should be noted that the, the squats were not a separate race. Sorry. The squats were treated as a separate culture, but they were in fact human. Okay. As were space ogres, called the Ogren, who they you were could, treated as human. They were genetically human, but culturally they were referred to as what's called abhuman. So mm. it's so these colonies would take over a world, but it's a world with high gravity. Mm. And so gradually, oh, see, yeah. your race, the, the accordion, is adjusted. Yeah, yeah, it's that kind of thing. Whereas in fantasy, dwarves were a different race completely. Completely their own thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah okay, right, cool. right, right. That's cool. So at this stage, it should also be noted that there were no real origins of anything. The origins of orcs weren't really discussed. The origins of Eldar weren't really discussed. Humans, it was assumed to be our own human origins but everything it was presented what's the phrase in media res you were in you were joining the story halfway through it's funny that you say the dwarves in 40k regarded as human just a uh, slightly different off off strand of, of humanoid and, and ogres and whatnot the same in the vastness of space where you have the luxury of being able to concoct any race and species independently from any other species you've decided to classify dwarves and ogres as humans in the human umbrella yeah they tie it to the great uh, diaspora of humanity so as humanity spread amongst the stars right. some of the stars they landed on wholesale mutated or evolved the people evolved to adapt to that environment over generations over millennia so yeah. the dwarves in fact are simply very low frequency mutated humans, if you if you understand what I mean, mm, and yeah, ogres sure. as well. And funnily enough, beast men, beast men were considered to be abhumans, and you could mm. actually field 
squads of beastmen in an Imperium army, in the Imperial army, in fact. I guess um, it makes them more relatable if they have a lineage that you can that's familiar, isn't it? Rather than yeah. saying like they appeared out of a rock. You're like, oh, they used yep. to be us and then they got squished <laughs> by gravity. And now they don't yeah. look like us. Yeah, I, I, I get that. That's how I relate to Kral. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The planet I live on has a higher gravity rating than the planet you live on, Ben. Yes. So I'm yeah. a little bit more squished. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah more condensed. It also has a kind of like a background level of weed, which is why, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. you sound like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, g- given the legality of it, we're going to snip that fucking out of the episode you do it. Mm, mm. Um, not on my planet mate perfectly legal on my planet don't you worry about it yeah exactly don't worry about it Dar. it's it's uh yeah <laughs> so really as uh the first edition progressed and as i said was being developed before your eyes we saw the introduction of a number of uh, supplements and a number of army lists that were kind of game changing and started the path down to the 40k that we know today the first big two really were the chaos supplements the kind of the lost and the damned and the slaves to darkness which we mentioned previously this introduced storytelling aspects of the horus heresy the impact of chaos how to create a chaos space marine army how to field you know a mutated imperial army how to uh, create chaos champions and in the eye of terror we'll we'll cover that shortly is where chaos champions constantly fight for the appreciation and amusement of the chaos gods and it introduced demons and the chaos gods so that's really Jesus. the big bad of the 40k universe was introduced in those two books and as i had mentioned last episode that introduced them wholesale to warhammer fantasy and uh, Warhammer Fantasy roleplay as well. Just from those two books? Just from those two books. Arguably the biggest impact two supplements have ever had in, in a gaming setting. In the supplements, did they actually reference both settings? Yes. They yeah. did. That's there was a fantasy section and a 40k section. The 40k section was called Dark Millennium. That's the actual chapter or section heading for that, which that phrase is used again and again in, as additions move forward. The other uh, kind of group of supplements that really defined an existing race, but in a new way, were the orcs. They had the first book called Wa the Orcs. <laughs> I will repeat that. Wa the Orcs. Wa the Orcs was unique. Why not? <laughs> Why, Darren? Why? Tell us. <laughs> <laughs> But wow, <laughs> it was background only. There were no rules. All it did was generate the concept of the six different orc tribes and define what orc culture was, cool. uh, introduced the concepts of genetic memory, introduced squigs, grots, and identified some of the vehicles that they used. But it was their space counterparts. It was the space squig and the space tribes. And the yes. space, blah, 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 blah. Space blah. orcs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Were all of those yeah. things existing in um, Warhammer Fantasy at that stage? Like, were squigs a thing in fantasy? 
squigs were a thing, but not as uh, kind of populous, not as well developed. Okay. Uh, at the time that Rogue Trader came out, there were no army books for Warhammer Fantasy. There was one supplement, which was Warhammer Armies, which covered everything. Later on, there would be army books and codices and so forth. Codices. That was followed then by uh, another couple of supplements which contained all the rules for the various orcs. One is called Freebooters, which dealt with uh, pirates. You could you could field orc pirates. Cool. Uh, and these were orc pirates that were touched by various aspects of 40k lore. So you could field chaos-possessed orcs pirates. Because huh. uh, orc pirates aren't enough. They're not extra enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's yeah. take them even further off the hook. <laughs> <laughs> These space orc pirates are missing something. They need to... <laughs> a je ne sais quoi <laughs> not just pirates it also covered three of the six tribes and then there was another one called here we go which dealt with the other remaining uh, three tribes glaswegians glaswegians but it it introduced like the snake bites the snake bite clan uh, which didn't drink beer and cider mixed together but um, <laughs> down at by, down at Psyker Grove. Down at Psyker Grove. <laughs> now I've just got the theme for Fraggle Rock stuck in my head. Down at Fraggle Rock. <laughs> down at Psyker Grove. Um, but Sorry. they they had a. Go on. These are snake bite orcs in space. What are the snakes doing in space? Are they space snakes? I guess. No, these are orcs from the snake bite tribe, snake bite clan. Right. In space. In space. Okay. So these are... Were they called the Snake Bite Clan before they got into space? I don't understand <laughs> they got into space. I'm, like, I'm, just, I'm just imagining cosmic... They weren't, they weren't just in fantasy, Chris, and then we're like, do you know what? Let's take this party out to space. Like, <laughs> two separate things. They were a two new creation. Things. Yeah, they were a new yeah. creation for 40k. But, okay. but... They were a traditionally orcish-leaning clan, so they yeah. would have guys called wild boys, which were just orcs. They were just wild fantasy boys. orcs. Wild boys. My query, I was challenging it because like, I'm just trying to get my head around it. Were they an evolution from fantasy, the snake bite clan? Makes sense. If you're in the middle of space, what are the chances of you coming up against a snake and therefore going, I want to call myself the snake bite clan? How were they inspired to be called the snake bite clan when you're in the middle of space? Well, they're not necessarily in the middle of space. They're on a planet that's on the in the middle of space, and on okay. that planet has snakes. Okay, yeah. fine. Explained. I thought you were going down like some sort of Samuel L. Jackson snakes on a plane, sort of snakes in space vibe with that yeah. question. But no, just, no, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you see where I'm coming from. I was just like, so they yeah. must have encountered snakes. <laughs> yeah. Somewhere yeah, yeah. there were just <laughs> snakes floating. There's just a snake with like an astronaut. That's what I'm imagining. Yeah, like so far <laughs> right, through well, this, we've got space this and space that, and I'm just simplifying uh, everything by putting uh, a bloody fishbowl on on everything. <laughs> okay, right now it's <laughs> well, a space worthy let, thing. Let Let's go through the other five and see if you can uh, pick okay. problems with their names. You had <laughs> okay. the Death Skulls. Fine, Death Skulls. Yeah, fine with that. Yeah. The blood axes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. why have an axe when you can have a space gun? But yeah, carry on. <laughs> uh, uh, the evil sons. 
Mm, yep, sure. With there's the plenty U. of suns yep, and stars. It's more, yeah, 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 it's more, yeah, yeah. more of an evil star, but yeah, the, come on. Yeah, yeah, the bad yeah. moons. Sure, plenty of moons. Bad moon, yeah, 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 that works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A- and the goths. G-O-F-F-S. Goths. Well, that's a made-up word anyway, like, so that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> they dress they, all in black. They like, they're all yeah, in black. Yeah, they all in black. Are they, they all are, in yeah. black? Yeah. That's amazing. That is amazing. Are they kind and of they, sullen? They, and they, had the, they had the hair. They had the hair squig come forward <laughs> over their eyes, <laughs> over one eye, <laughs> over one. Eye. <laughs> Cut my life into pieces. <laughs> this so. is my last rework. Um, the <laughs> so those three supplements really form the foundation of orc culture moving forward within the lore. Um, and we'll cover that when we cover orcs in nine million episodes. Um, so I'm not going <laughs> to let this lie. It's like having the snakebite clan is like having the wood elf space. God. The, 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 the the wood elves in space. Do you know what I mean? Like just it the, seems what, out of the Eldar to me. Uh, yeah. The El- are there wood el- yeah, are they- there wood Eldar? Tell me, there's wood Eldar. Yes, there are Exodite Eldar. Shut These up. are wood elves in space. These are wood elves in space that raise dinosaurs. Uh, of course, yeah. Of course they do. Yeah. <laughs> so in the same way as the orcs were like, what should we call ourselves? And then all of a sudden this fucking snake with a uh, an astronaut's helmet just kind of floated past just, them. They were like, next thing you course. see, the next thing you see, Throg. Well, that's what we'll call it. was just, well, was we'll just an it. Eldar going like, how can we differentiate ourselves from these guys over here? And then just suddenly a forest floated past them. They're like, oh. With a fishbowl well, helmet. Well, there are... Ah, space tree. <laughs> there are <laughs> illustrations forest. of uh, exodite forces, the space wood elves. So there's like a triceratops with a turret on, on its back. Nice. That's nice. cool. That is cool. That's fucking brilliant. It's the only the only way that you can make dinosaurs any more cool. What can we do? What can we? How can we jazz these up? Let's put a <laughs> massive gun on it. That is brilliant. So unfortunately. There were no models made for Exodites within Warhammer 40,000. There were some test miniatures made for the epic scale, for the Adeptus Titanicus kind of small scale game, but they never made it into widespread reduction. Widespread production. Uh, but it, I vaguely, interesting did concept. you used to have the those ones? I vaguely remember like mini miniatures you had yeah. when we were yeah. younger. Mate, so did everything you get, like, we co- armies. Yeah, everything we cover, I had. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the so when you say like they were mini minis, were the the how, were six, how big were? A space marine was six millimeters tall. Wow. Six and you mil? they appeared. Yeah, mill, and they were on bases on square bases. You had five per base. So they were plastic. You cut them out of the sprues yeah. and glued them into the bases. And you had that for the various flavors of Space Marine and Imperial Army, Imperial Guard, plus all the Orcs and the Squats and the Eldar and Chaos, uh, plus all of wow. their enormous larger war engines, which we'll cover uh, as we move That's forward. mental. How, how did you paint something that size? Really, really badly. <laughs> steering back to uh, first edition it was at this stage we're now looking at 10 supplements out with loads of different rules and different units peppered through white dwarf so really you had to have the complete collection to be able to play 
all the bits you wanted and or needed. Around this stage, I think that they started development of second edition for both the rule set and lore. Uh, and what was brought out was two kind of rules-based supplements. One was the battle manual, and that dealt with weapons and how to use them. And the second was the vehicle manual, because at this stage, vehicles were being produced. Larger vehicles were being produced. You had the Space Marine Rhino, which is a, a, an armored personnel carrier. You had the Land Raider, which was a, a larger armored personnel carrier battle tank. Um, you had the various conversion guides in White Dwarfs to be able to create the Whirlwind, which was a, a, a missile launching vehicle. You had access then to Predators, uh, which is a type of tank, not a creepy person. You also <laughs> then had... Was the Land Raider that you mentioned there, so it's a large armoured personnel carrier that was also a tank, was that one of the constructs that was reclaimed from, was rediscovered yeah. via one of those STCs? Yeah, it, by one of those itchy things, yeah. It was the, yeah. <laughs> um, that was one one of the two recovered by the famous Arkin Land, who was this uh, right. techno-archaeologist. techno Um. And so really, what was really interesting about the vehicle manual is how each vehicle could be shot at or how it could be targeted. Each vehicle had a little data card. And on that card was like, a, have you seen those um, Dorling and Kindersley books where you cut through something? So it's like you have... Oh, a, yeah, 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 yeah. Where you see the inside, how it works. It's a cross-section. Yeah, you had that. Good use of that word, which I had completely forgotten. Uh, that was... <laughs> <laughs> I was like, he's skirting around it. I, yeah. He knows what it is, but he's you, testing me. You had a, you had a, a black and white cross section, very simplistic, through each vehicle, and the vehicle manual came with a clear acetate sheet with a targeting grid on it. So you That's would cool. target where you wanted to hit the vehicle, and then you rolled some dice and adjusted the shot by that amount. And wherever it hit, you had to roll armor penetration. Two of my favorite words. And uh, and then there's various critical tables that you rolled on to be able to damage such vehicles. But this is where you start getting into prescribed army lists, where you can only, if you want to play against someone else, you really can only use those troop types, those unit types, those vehicle types. In, in kind of competitive play, in competitive games, as it were, to make it fair. And that's really where the first edition came to an end. And as I had said previously, that was not necessarily optimistic, but in the lore, humanity had a good fighting chance. In the transition into second edition, so we're now looking at about uh, 93, that's where, as I had said, it it takes on a more depressing hue. It takes on the kind of grimdark nature of modern day Warhammer 40k. Second edition really is it's almost a completely different game. There's some elements mechanically that are taken from Rogue Trader, but in general, it's a it's a new version. It's a new edition of the game, both uh, specifically and figuratively. It also came about at the same time 
as Warhammer Fantasy went from third edition to fourth edition, and both game systems followed the same kind of model. The stat lines were fairly similar. You saw the introduction of army books, Warhammer army books for the fantasy, but it was the first edition of the first edition of uh, codexes for individual armies, so that everything you needed to play was in one book. It also saw the first release of a Warhammer 40k box set, a starter set, which was uh, Blood Angel Space Marines, or, well, Space Marines, but the art was all Blood Angel Space Marines versus Orcs, Orcs and Goblins, or Orcs and Grots, as they're known as in the 40k lore. I remember the art for that. The art for the front of that box was really colourful, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, 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 I remember it. Really cool. So it, was a, it was a space marine captain with a, a bolt gun and a power fist. And didn't he have yellow hair? I vaguely yeah. remember him having yellow hair, yeah. It, it's called Blonde, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck's sake, man. This edition of 40K is referred to as Hero Hammer because it saw the introduction of named characters, all of whom were incredibly powerful. The named characters were drawn directly from the lore. Uh, you saw the release of 10 codices, 10 codexes, and also the reimagining of a lot of the original races. Now, the box set came with a kind of codex army list, which was a 20-page pamphlet, uh, which allowed you to instantly use your uh, existing collection in a way so that you could play the second edition straight away uh, because it was going to take a while for the um, the codexes to be uh, written and produced. It is unfortunate that at that stage, that was the last mention of squats for quite a while, as I oh. said previously. So y you were able to play them in a kind of very hamstrung fashion. They didn't really have any new models at all from Rogue Trader era onwards, or from the end of Rogue Trader era onwards. You started seeing each army get a significant boost in terms of different types of units, access to different equipments, specializations, and war gear. Uh, this was the introduction of the kind of card system. You had war gear cards, which denoted specialized pieces of equipment to add into your game. The game sizes, like Rogue Trader, went from around somewhere between 20 to 40 miniatures to second edition, it's somewhere around 30 to 50 miniatures. Still very small compared to what you have access to today. The largest things you would have in your force would be vehicles. They were very expensive to run. So it, at this stage... In terms of lore... What do you mean by expensive to run? Uh, in points value. Ah, I see, okay. Say, for instance, in a 3,000-point army, including a land raider, a land raider was 250 points minimum, plus right. okay. additional bits. So it's it's a fair, you know... It's an investment. Yeah, which, which is usually unwise because you just get a basic guy with a las cannon to blow a hole inside of it, and that that's it. It's, it's a waste of... Right. It's a waste of uh, uh, resources. It's at this stage where the various factions seem to take on the aspects that they currently have. 
the background of Space Marines is fleshed out quite a bit. So you go from just kind of these are elite human troops to there are a thousand chapters of a thousand Space Marines. Space Marines are descended from the original 20 Space Marine legions. Arguably nine, because two were never defined, two were destroyed in the lore before they ever kind of made any kind of established presence. Nine betrayed them, nine went off to become Chaos Space Marines, and the remaining nine were loyal. So you had nine Space Marine legions of at least 100,000 Space Marines each. There's something like best estimates is that the Ultramarines at the start of the Horus Heresy had at least half a million Space Marines, just constantly recruiting and generating new forces to be able to participate in the Great Crusade, this, you know, reintegration of humanity from the stars. It's the first mention of Primarchs we get at this stage in the Space Marine lore, which these are the genetic sons of the Emperor. So it's, you know, the Primarchs are actually named. Including the Chaos ones? Including the Chaos ones. They're also named. Um, uh, in terms of just having a history, the Codex Ultramarines, which was the kind of generic Space Marine Codex, allows you to play any real Space Marine chapter, but had a lot of special characters that focused on the Ultramarines. You then also saw the breakout of the Blood Angels and the Dark Angels. They had their own separate codex. You saw the Space Wolves then get their own development. So you had Space Vikings, Space Vampires, Space Angry Gregorian Monks, and the Ultramarines. Um, <laughs> the Sisters of Battle, the Battle Nuns, they make their first real presence felt in the lore at this stage. And um, what a debut. <laughs> I'm, I'm done that was me done <laughs> i just hadn't contributed for, for a few minutes so i was just uh, chip in there carry on so they were released really early on then I, very I early really, on I thought yeah, they were, right, yeah. there's so, there's some anecdotal evidence that the uh that they were well there's one image from rogue trader of uh, a power armored nun with enormous bazooms with spikes on the end, killing a space marine. There wow. were two, but it was never really fleshed out beyond that, uh, if you'll excuse the phrase. There were two uh, miniatures of female space marines included in the original kind of rogue trader adventurer uh, range. And looking back on them now, they're quite shocking. Uh, <laughs> in terms of uh, the, the sculpting ability at the time, but it wasn't until the second edition that the Sisters of Battle really came out as their own defined force with a background that went back to, uh, went back, uh, now I'm going to get this wrong, it's either 4,000 years or 6,000 years to the, an event called the Age of Apostasy, where one of the Emperor's High Lords usurped the rest. And uh, there was an event revolving around something called the Brides of the Emperor, these were proto-battle uh, sisters, which eventually turned into the kind of elite force of the space church, as I shall now call it, uh, the Ecclesiarchy. <laughs> <laughs> but that codex did include uh, preachers, missionaries, the basic kind of priesthood of the Imperium, plus something called the Freighter Militia. So the Ecclesiarchy are prohibited from 
having men under arms. They can't have an armed male force. And so they exclusively use the Sisters of Battle, but they have encouraged a lot of male amateurs to join in. And so these are mobs guided by the priesthood in terms of open battle. The Imperial Army, as was, changed to the Imperial Guard. And this is where you start seeing some of the more, more well-known regiments become defined, like the Cadians, the Mordians. Um, so the Cadians are what you would consider to be the de facto normal, everyday, elite human soldier. The Mordians are kind of, they're like Marines, like human Marines, but they only go to battle in their dress uniform. They don't have a battle fatigue. They have a dress uniform. That's all they do. It's all they huh. use. Nice. The Valhallans are like Stalingrad Russians. They have that kind of aesthetic. There's some Long other duster coats, those big exactly fluffy hats. Exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Space Kalashnikovs. Yeah. We see the definition and inclusion of the uh, Kachan jungle fighters, uh, as well as Shaka Khan jungle fighters. No, no, I deny you. I don't receive it. <laughs> I don't receive it. Denied, growl. But this was an attempt to show just how many different forms the Imperial Guard had. None of those regiments had their own special rules. It was just that a unit of Cadians played exactly the same as a unit of Valhallens. Van Halens. Oh, Van Halens. Of, uh, might as well jump. Uh, of, um, <laughs> uh, there was a limited release of a regiment called the Praetorians, and they were effectively the soldiers from Zulu. They were British dress, wow. kind of red coaty, with like pith with white pith helmets, and they're they're quite popular still to this day. You saw the distillation of all three orc hardback books from Rogue Trader into one orc army book, which allowed you to play all six tribes. Uh, again, very little difference. You had access to certain units. For instance, the snake bites, which are fast becoming Chris's favorite, I can tell. <laughs> they had uh, boar riders, and you could upgrade them to ride cyborgs, cybernetically enhanced boars. Amazing. And the models are quite funny, cyborgs. and they're quite powerful. Obviously, you had Chaos with the fantastically detailed two-volume Chaos books from Rogue Trader condensed again into a single volume which outlined the fall of chaos, the Horus heresy, what happened after the heresy, the different legions and different troop types you could have. So this is where you start being able to play in earnest and quite balanced chaos space marines led by wow. the various chaos champions. You had access to the chaos space marines that were corrupted or worshipped a specific god. So you had access to the plague marines of Nurgle, the World Eater Berserkers of Corn, the Noise Marines, literally that's what they're called, the Noise Marines of Slanesh. <laughs> and if you, if you look at the miniatures, they're playing sonic weaponry, which is guitars. They're playing <laughs> oh, guitars. I, I vaguely so remember cool. these. Yeah. yeah. The no 
what is, how is that related to excess and whatever else it is that Slanesh represents? <laughs> uh, and then you had the well, that was, that uh, was the a genuine of... question. That was not rhetorical. Right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like what? In what way is a guitar that is fires sonic things have anything to do with Slanesh? It's the sensory overload of just having, like, when they fire the the, the guitar or strum, as I like to call it, and um, most of the energy goes off to the target, but some of it goes through their sensory system and it's overloaded, so they're ah, constantly overstimulated, um, <laughs> and it's wired into the pleasure centers of their brain. Yeah. <laughs> It's like an old, like, crappy rock movie where, like, the people just get, like, imbibed with musical excellence and <laughs> classical gas. <laughs> okay. Was that the first time that the heresy was properly defined or fleshed out in the form that it is now, then, in that chaos book? Yes. The short answer is yes, because you also had access to a lot of the... You could feel the heroes of the heresy. Like the great one is Abaddon the Despoiler. He's the next war master of chaos, of the forces of chaos. He took over from his genetic father, Horus. And he's by far wildly more successful as a a champion of chaos than Horus ever was. But it allows that that codex really as I said earlier, is is foundational for how chaos was viewed, how chaos in the lore operated as it moved forward. Um, You know, it was a very primary coloured edition. It was bright. All the miniatures were kind of solid primary colours. So it looked really cheerful while being depressed as well. So very much mirrored the kind of psychology of the teenagers that were playing it at the time. Um, (laughs) The final couple I want to cover we saw is the introduction, first of all, in White Dwarf number 127 of Craft World Eldar. This is where you get into the Aspect Warriors, and we'll cover that when we cover Eldar. So the Eldar Codex, the first one, included the basic kind of Craft World forces plus the Aspect Warriors, but also the Dragon Knights, the Space Wood Elves, and space pirates. So you had a, a, quite a lot of range in terms of tactics and uh, units to use. You could create two wildly different armies from the same list. And that's true of all the other codexes too. The last one then is the Tyranid Codex. And this really is where they were defined as genetic hoovers. This is where you had quite significant monsters that would come in, mince up other eunuchs. You Eunuchs? Units? You had <laughs> units and eunuchs. Yeah, space eunuchs. They don't differentiate. And that they really kind of cemented the role as the big bad or big bad number two. Uh oh, that's a phrase you don't want. Uh of um <laughs> of Warhammer 40k. These were like a relentless genetic hoover uh that had wow. lots of specialized units that would come in and screw your day up. Uh, I just see them kind of like entering the atmosphere in this giant Henry Hoover, this like creepy, unblinking, smiling <laughs> face in the front of the thing. I mean, the Hoover of Hoovers. <laughs> I, can, I, can, I tell you what, you're laughing, but it was the release of a game called Space Crusade, 
which is a 40k board game, where they linked Gene Stealers, which is a type of a, a four-armed alien xenomorph from the Alien movies that was originally in the lore only occupied a single planet called, oh god, Yim Girl? Yim Girl? What a, a planet. Uh, and it was revealed in Space Crusade that these were forward scouts for the Tyranid fleet. And I can remember reading it going, fucking hell. That's how into it I was and am, that I was stunned that they had linked gene stealers to these Tyranid fleets. You have to remember, Space Hulk had been a board game for about mm. four years uh, before this. So gene right. stealers were established through there. Uh, I had spent four right. years playing Space Hulk and having a right laugh to discover that these guys who did kept their mouths shut and they were the vanguard of a larger threat to the Imperium of Man. Had they been defined, had gene stealers been defined as Tyranids in Space Hulk or were they just gene stealers? No. There was no background on them. They were just gene stealers. Wow. Still your jeans. And that really is it for second edition. I mean, the only real kind of other aspect that was added in were assassins, kind of the imperial assassins were defined and available to forces that were aligned with the Imperium. But that compact five-year bubble of the second edition, in terms of lore, defined 80% of what came after uh, in terms of logical growth from there, but certainly defined the institutions. Interestingly, at that stage, no Mechanicus. There was no Adeptus Mechanicus separate force. The Inquisition wasn't really a thing in this edition. It existed. There were uh, still updates available through White Dwarf, Second edition really was a a contained unit, as it were, in terms of lore. And I think I was hoping to also get third edition covered, but I think we might leave that to next episode, because that's Mm. where structurally the game that we know today comes from. Because in second edition, you could build your army any way you wanted. You could have a space marine force made up entirely of heavy weapon squads. Oh, wow. Right, okay. Mental, Darren. That is bonkers. B-A-N-A-N-A-S. So that is really the first two editions of 40K. It's where it came from, and in terms of the lore, the edition that cemented most of it. Wicked. Wicked. This Whoa. intricate web tapestry of 40K yeah. slowly being interwoven. It's still an absolute minefield for me, for a noob. What's interesting for me is, as someone who knows little to fuck all about 40K, is I see 40K as a story and a setting primarily. And you kind of jolt me back into reality. Actually, it was a game to begin with. And as the game evolved, the lore spun off out of that. It wasn't the lore first. It was very much the game first. And that kind of, you kind of remind me of that. Yeah, I mean, the... the it's it's a good point well made it, the lore oh, it's really a good is, point it wasn't well made but yeah the, <laughs> the lore really is the selling point of the game for a lot of people you know come for the models stay for the story that's yeah you know that's why it, people listen to this podcast we hope 
That's why uh... they came for the models. Stay for the story. Spoiler: We're not supplying models. Spoiler: These two kind of look like models, but more kind of before and after, and I can't decide which is which. Um, <laughs> Neither can we. Yeah, I mean, I mean, by far, I would say that I enjoy the first edition the most. Mechanically, I think second edition is superior to the editions that came after it, but that's simply because. I am emotionally stunted at that time. <laughs> that, that's where so you growing up. I got the most excitement. I think that's where the early 90s, well, early to mid 90s is where the best gaming ideas were generated by the company, in my opinion. Yeah, so, you know, yeah, Necromunda yeah. was invented then or, or came out then. I love that the, word. Necromunda. <laughs> I'm Jay Pregante. <laughs> Expelliarmus. Sounds uh, like something the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles would say, doesn't it? Like yeah. Necromunda, dude. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so next time we'll get into the the other editions. Um, is nine the current edition? Nine is the current edition. Yeah. And when's the next one due? When's the ter- edition? Uh, it'll either be later this year or summer next year. Right, okay. All right. If they're following the traditional models, yeah. Wow. Krell, if you were going to be an orc, space orc tribe, what would you call yourself? You don't even have to ask me. You don't even have to <laughs> ask me. You know which one is. Is it the snake biters? It's the snake bite motherfucking tribe. It's the pillow biters. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. <laughs> but yes. <laughs> the Pillow Bio Tribe. Excellent. Right, shall I wrap up? Yeah. All right, that's all from us. Thank you so much for listening. Details and imagery for the topics we've discussed in this podcast can be found on our website at layingdownthelore.com. We also have all our previous episodes on there, release schedules, merchandise, and you can sign up for the Laying Down the Lore newsletter, which includes exclusive info about upcoming releases, behind-the-scenes chat, and some extra lore not covered in this podcast. If you have enjoyed what you've heard in this episode and you want to support us, head over to patreon.com forward slash layingdownthelore40k and sign up today for as little as £3 give you access to our discord server so you can come and tell us exactly what you think of kral hi we'll be back soon displaying just how little chris and i know until then cheerio see you later bye